you know, if you get kind of those big rocks in place of the sport practice and how we're managing that load, you can get away with peeling back in other areas and not worrying about losing kind of these higher level qualities because those higher level qualities aren't being drowned out by just excessive fatigue. Because you see that in kind of a vicious cycle of like, oh, we're getting weaker throughout the season. We need to maybe, maybe should we lift more? Or yeah. And in, in reality, they have these qualities. They just can't express them because they're drowning. That was Joel Reinhardt. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Great to have you here. One of the things I love about the sports performance strength and conditioning industry is its multidisciplinary nature. So within that scope of athletic performance, we have anatomy and physiology, biomechanics, coaching and pedagogy, team culture, training arrangement. And within training arrangement, sports science has been a really cool integration into quantifying team player sport player loads and looking at how much fatigue sport practice and games are eliciting. And then that can be used to design training weeks, to design what you would call microcycles of team sport training. So oftentimes strength coaches will have a team sport, a sport coach that doesn't have a weekly plan in terms of training load and then get players that are very fatigued. They're entering the weight room already fatigued and there's a lot of excess volume in so many ways than there should be. And when you can get sports science and strength and conditioning and sport coaching on the same page, speaking the same language, you work smarter, you do the work you do better, and players are going to maintain important qualities more easily. So with that said, I'm really excited to have our guest on the show, Joel Reinhardt. Joel is a strength and conditioning coach and applied sports scientist at Stanford Football. He was actually recently on the podcast uh, when he was at UMass, and he appeared alongside Andrew Cormier. And so Joel is right now at Stanford doing strength and conditioning, but also working with the sport coaching staff to manage workloads to help design uh, what the loading pattern looks like for the training week, not differently than you would look at how you're managing workloads through a strength and conditioning weekly workload, a track and field workload, a swimming workload. And that's exciting. When we have these conversations, it helps us to, even if you're not working with the sports staff and doing this directly, Hearing how periodization and these microcycles are being carried out with a D1 football team, it gives us a different perspective and lens into whatever training program we're writing. It's also really exciting to see the level of communication and that direction sport is headed. So really excited to have Joel on the show today. For this episode, he'll be talking about his role in helping build out those workloads of the football players at Stanford. He'll be talking about what a specific training week looks like and then how strength training plugs into that training week. So how that really runs in a complementary manner. He'll also be talking about some of the primary pitfalls or pain points, as he calls them, that can happen if loading isn't done well. And typically that is when too much loading is done for too long. So he'll be getting into that. And it's really exciting, again, to have these conversations, to see how this works in a integrated setting. And it's something we can all learn from. So uh, before we get started, one last thing, just wanted to thank our show's two sponsors for the day. We have Lost Empire Herbs and SimplyFaster.com. First, Lost Empire Herbs. These are not your grandpa's herbs. This is not the Jinko Biloba you find at the local drugstore. These are legitimate, well-sourced herbs that have true performance effects. You may have heard of things like Shiliagit, highly recommended for strength building. And if you go into that rabbit hole, you're going to find a wealth of really helpful supplementation knowledge that can help you reach your performance goals. I've been personally using Lost Empire Herbs for the last four years. It's been something that is helpful to me, important to me. I honestly really like having supplements that you don't see in the store, but that are at the same time really effective. It makes me feel like I'm in on a secret or something. I also just love the nature vibe of all of it. Uh, if you want to check out the supplements I enjoy from Lost Empire Herbs for strength, energy, endurance, and overall well-being, you can head to lostempireherbs.com slash justfly and you'll get 15% off your order or you can use the code JUSTFLY and grab 15% off. So be sure to take advantage of that with Lost Empire Herbs. Second sponsor, simplyfaster.com. They have been with us since the beginning. Uh, amazing sponsors, amazing company. I recommend the Freelap Timing System all the time. I have many pieces from their store that I use on a regular basis. K-Box, Freelap Timing System, Blood Flow Restriction Bands, Velocity-Based Training. If you want to get into some of their technology, their store, 
they really do offer and curate the best of in so many elements of sports technology, data measuring, monitoring, and basic training tools as well. So be sure to check them out, their store, their online blog. We really appreciate both of our sponsors for today's show. So that being said, I give you an uninterrupted podcast with Joel Reinhardt. Joel, it's good to have you back on the show. Uh, could you start off by telling us a little bit about uh, you moved across the country, have a new job now. Uh, tell me a little bit about what you're up to. Yeah, so I got to Stanford in April um, from UMass. Uh, my role here, my title is assistant sports performance coach slash applied sports science coordinator with the football team. Day to day, that just looks like, you know, I'm one of the five strength coaches for football. So training the guys every day during the offseason, specifically during offseason training, I handle all the weight room training for the kickers and quarterbacks, kind of the oddballs of the football world. And then behind the scenes, handle all of our tech so we've got catapult, force plate, Nordboard, VBT, kind of handling the the day to day of that, but then also the front end planning of what are we, you know, what are we trying to track with that, and you know, some of the conversations with the stakeholders that you know go into the front end planning of that. So yeah, it's it's been really enjoyable. Love the area, and um, yeah, and I, this is the first time my wife and I have lived together in the same address for the last four years so that's been a nice personal change as well so yeah because uh, you were saying she's a strength coach as well so it's kind of coordinating that all sometimes at the same time same place yes. can be not the easiest task <laughs> in the world yeah so that's been great it's been solid and we're joking that we uh you know it's 75 and sunny every day and there was one day where it was a little bit cloudy and we were complaining but calling back to my family in minnesota and whatever they were just like shut up like it's 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 beautiful out here we love the area and everything's been everything's been pretty solid and um, you know now we're in kind of the meat of it with getting into fall camp and then the season so it's yeah. been well yeah i just left the bay area two years ago and then you you're right back into it so i'm just thinking about that yeah beautiful 70 degrees every day it was a little bit warmer in south bay but i remember when i got to ohio in the middle of uh, move back to ohio middle of july i'm like it is so hot here i don't know if i'm ever going to get used to this and yeah. Honestly, within a, within a summer, I was like, oh, I'm all right. You know, I, I I didn't even notice it was that hot some days when I'd walk out. It was 90 or whatever. So, you know, going yeah. sledding and kids making jumps in the yard, stuff like that. I mean, anywhere you go, I think it's all good. But man, I tell you, it, walking out, we, we um, I remember one month it was the Super Bowl, and I think my wife and I just went to the beach. You know, and like, I mean, it was nice. Like, we called you know our our family in Ohio, and and we're like, hey, we're at the they're watching Super Bowl. We're like, hey, we're at the beach. Like, so it's like probably snow on the ground over there. It's just. It's just yeah. funny. So. Yeah, it's been great. Uh, all right. So well, let's get into some of the meat and the potatoes of the coaching questions. And, you know, something that's interesting is that, you know, before we even like started or pushed record, I was just interested with how many like systems are doing what you guys are doing. And maybe we can get into that a little bit more as well. But I'm so intrigued by how you and the head coach are constructing uh, these training weeks in terms of uh, workloads and uh, what the week should look like. It's it's almost like sometimes this stuff is like a pipe dream for I think many because I had I remember have Cameron Joss and Fergus Connolly on talking about well here's what a weekly workload should look like but I feel like the average situation with the university is the strength coaches are kind of at the mercy of whatever the coach decided to plan for the week and then they just have to deal with those volumes but from the sounds of what you're saying you have a lot more input into that and so Tell me a little bit about the collaboration of your job, uh, your role with the football staff and how you guys are planning out, not just the weight room weekly workloads, but the actual workloads for the the sport practice. Yeah. So that was one of the first things that I wanted to get ahead of when I arrived. And one of the first projects I started working on kind of in the the background, separate from our day to day of training the guys in April when I arrived, um, was getting a handle on what did the previous season looked like from you know a weekly workload standpoint and fall camp uh, starting with fall camp and looking at that month because so many places do it so differently and then just matching that up with the practice scripts just to get a sense of okay what is quote-unquote normal around here um, what does coach want what does he kind of expect from a daily structure standpoint you know because he's been here for i want to say this is season 12 for him at stanford 
so that was the first kind of thing um, was just organizing that into kind of one place where I could all see it together. And then using matching that up with the catapult data to find pain points and then also matching that up with injuries to figure out like, all right, we're, we saw a spike here. Is that because of what the daily structure was like or was that because of you know, what the previous five to seven days all looked like cumulatively and kind of matching all those up together to, you know, basically look at what did coach want to get done? Where do we think there were some spikes, not necessarily in uh, both in load and injury and things that we think just from some front end planning, we could mitigate pretty easily without messing with the overall workloads of, you know, the month too much. So that was kind of first project. And then once I had a good handle on that and what that looked like, it was then the next step was, okay, well, if I'm going to insert myself into this conversation, like I want to be as detailed as possible. I had a phone conversation with somebody last night asking about some catapult things. And that's one of the things I said is like, don't try to insert yourself. I should say, if you're going to go into a conversation asking to have input on the practice structure, you should have your plan fully ready in the event that the coach says, okay, great, plan the whole thing. Like, do you have your homework done to have that full thing ready as opposed to just like, oh, I think we should do a little bit more here and a little more there. Like, no, like down to specifically like, you know, different, you know, understanding the sport enough to understand different scenarios that are going to want to get done and, you know, all the different things that go into planning a practice. It's like, if you're going to try to have some input, like, have the full thing done or at least, you know, have a grasp on it so you can have the conversation in an intelligent way with all the stakeholders. So that was kind of the next step was, all right, we know what they wanted to do or what they did last year, not what they wanted to do, what actually was executed last year. And then I just went through and kind of mapped out based on where there were spikes in load, then subsequently spikes in Injury, whether those were, you know, soft tissue or traumatic. And then also, I think this is an important step in year one, too, when I was kind of building trust with coach. I wanted to be very intentional about not coming in and being the person who was just saying we need to do less. And so we, in mapping out the new plan, we kept the number, the, the total length of practice and the number of team reps and the number of each types of practice, whether it was helmets or full pads or shells, we kept each of those identical to last year for the whole month and just rearranged some things within that to hold some time off of this practice and put it onto this other practice. And, you know, rearrange instead of going four days in a row at one point during camp, we bumped that day to later and, you know, in like almost 10 days later, we bumped that day where where there was an off day. We took away an off day in another week. But, you know, so it was just kind of rearranging so that things were flowing a little better based on, you know, kind of what we wanted to hit. But it allowed us to go into that meeting and say, hey, we didn't take anything away from you in terms of number of, you know, total time on field and number of competitive reps, you know, team seven on seven, team run that you're getting leading up to the first game. So I think that was a great way to start the conversation. And then, you know, almost, you know, let it be known very early on that I think my role as sports science coordinator is use, you know, utilizing the data and to help guide our planning on the front end to play as much football as we possibly can while still, you know, being healthy for Saturday. And yeah, that is, you know, and making that clear to everybody upstairs in our building. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not the takeaway guy. It's going to be um, you know, how we just want to organize things in such a way we can play as much football as possible. And um, starting, if you get some big rocks in place, that helps a ton. And I'll get off track a little bit, but so that was the that was kind of step two was making that plan, and then. I guess, you know, step three overall was just back and forth meetings with coach and, you know, hey, here's here's my plan one, version one. And he made a couple tweaks and then we met back again. And it was, you know, I was like, all right, you made these two te- two tweaks. I'm good with those. And these other two, I need these back. And OK. And so we kind of went back and forth on those. And and then now the, the fall camp 
plan that we're executing we're currently in the middle of executing we've made a couple of little changes here and there that's another thing like we you know we met after a you know kind of six seven days into camp because i you know, wanted to make it clear again that like this is a fluid document this isn't etched in stone and but we won't have to make as many adjustments because we did all the front end planning and but there are things that are going to pop up along the way and especially in a you know major contact sport it's somebody's going to get rolled up on and they rolled their ankle and they missed three, four days. And so that affects everything else. And we got to make some adjustments and some things like that. But that was, um, that's kind of how it's rolled so far. And then day to day now, you know, just send I, I don't necessarily send like actual catapult data to everybody every day. I more boiled it down to, you know, just bullet points for our position coaches of what they need to know about their specific positions and then Coach Shaw does like getting the full reports every day. So I send those along to him with notes. And some of our position coaches specifically request the data because they like to see it and ask me questions about it. But now day to day, it's, you know, just sending along little notes. But I've noticed even now, like there are some days that get a little redundant because we've stuck to the plan that it's like, OK, notes for today. And it's like, uh, keep doing the plan that we have set out. And so. Um, apart from some maybe some little individual adjustments, we haven't had to do much tweaks in that realm. But it's also been fun since the first time doing it. And it's the first time I've had this much like autonomy in the planning process, being diligent about taking notes every day because there are little things that aren't going quite as, as I expected them in my head. And so it's all right, taking notes on this one a little better than we thought, this one a little different than we thought. And so that when we go back and iterate for next year, we, uh, have notes on that, but let me know if I'm answering your question or not. Yeah, sure. You you <laughs> gave me you gave me a lot of thoughts too. I, I as you were talking, I kind of I have the questions for the show, but I also have three follow ups based off what you were saying. And yeah, uh-huh. actually, kind of four. Almost one is not really necessarily a question, but it does make me think about within an organization or a company. Like the more people feel like they have autonomy and an authentic contribution, I just feel like that's always a really really good thing. And if yeah. As I can imagine that a staff, if it's like, like the football coaches, this just here's the practice and you get players that are constantly like beat up, getting hurt because of practice loads, practice reps that aren't um, organized in a way that's, or they're organized in a very monotonous fashion. And it could be very frustrating, but just the, mm-hmm. the strength staff and that physical, you know, or physical preparation, sports science, as Kurt Hester put it. I think that the more you feel uh, at least some sense of autonomy and connection to that whole piece, not necessarily maybe just in the gym, but in even a connection to, hey, I understand and have even a say in some of the ways that practice is going from a workload perspective. I just think that's really powerful. And I'm sure that's probably, a, you know, a, also a potential frustration on the other side of it for many people. I did want to get to the first thing of the three I have as a follow up was one, you had mentioned being able to like draw out draw out the practice like the football practice like if asked i I would like actually a bit more clarity on that because you said part of your preparatory process was and again not just saying less but like having saying okay if i was doing football practice it would be like this much load here this much load here this much load here i just wanted a little Mm -hmm. more detail on that because for me coming from a track background it was interesting for me going from actually coaching track doing it all all the jumps all the sprints then going in the weight room like doing it everything and then uh, when I first arrived at Cal, being the strength coach for track and just doing a little piece of it, you know, I always wanted to have an intuitive sense of what the athletes did on the track. It, either the coaches gave me the practice plan, some of the coaches didn't, and I would ask the athletes, I'm like, hey, which, which isn't, I mean, that's not the great co- uh, communication style for sure, but for some uh, groups, that's what it ended up being. And it's like, I couldn't imagine getting athletes and not knowing what they had and not just knowing it but kind of intuitively feeling it if that makes sense where it's like like i've written this out before like i've written out those sprints and jumps before i know what you're going to feel like when you come in the gym and i think for at least the ability what i'm getting at is i feel like the ability to like write at be able to write out a football practice plan and be like i know i i have not just know this on paper but i kind of know what you guys are going to feel like coming off of this you know what i'm saying anyways long story short i just like you to expand a little bit about being able to have more intuition and being able to like going into what you meant by like writing out that football practice plan on your end, how that is important or or the details a little more. So, I mean, I just, I don't want to overstate 
the level at which the details I'm getting into, like right now, because I mean, Coach Shaw's smart enough and in tune enough with kind of some of the conversations that we're having that, you know, it's kind of recommending and then he's going in and diving through it. But I mean, in terms of like getting a hold on, like I know every day we're going to have 30 minutes of special teams and that's pretty much consistent. Now what goes on during those, during that time is different day to day. Um, but I know we're going to have 30 minutes of special teams and I could see that based on last year's practice scripts. So if I was going to come with a recommendation of like, oh, this day's only got 15 minutes of special teams, that was a non-starter. So it's like getting a sense of what that coach wants. But then in really getting, kind of recognizing what periods end up being most intensive for different positions and from, you know, different physical characteristics that we're looking at and seeing that, you know, not just like, all right, hey, this should be two hours, but even getting into like, Hey, if we, you know, the organization of the within the day of, hey, let's, you know, we're gonna do our general warm up with the guys, then they go into a little bit of special teams that's not very physically intensive, and then they do a little bit of indie. Where do we want these extremely intensive team periods to fall within the practice structure daily? We've had some of those conversations. We do a halftime of every at every practice. We're just five minutes where the guys sit on the ground. Our nutritionist is getting them whatever they want and they're hydrating. And so we, we know we kind of have a halftime uh, in our practices. So it's like, hey, do we want to fit the bulk of our team periods prior to that halftime? Or do we want some? How do we want to structure it post halftime? Like coach has been um, asking me about that a little bit. So in terms of planning out the day, it's some people is actually an interesting. I, I have conversations with as many football coaches as I can who think differently, I guess, than each other to get a sense of like, what do you like to see in a practice? Some people hate seven on seven. And if uh, when I say like, oh, competitive reps, I mean, you versus the defense, full speed, uh, you know, offense versus defense, full speed, where the constraints are pretty much, hey, you're trying to score that way and they're trying to stop. Like it, it, there's not much artificial about it. It's just like we're playing football, not necessarily live tackling, but we're playing football. And some places that's a fair amount of seven on seven uh, with, you know, skill guys. And then there's a team run or nine versus seven, which is all like inside the box. It's all run game. And then usually while that's happening, the wide receivers are doing one on ones with the DBs. And then while the seven on seven is happening, the you know, the O-line, D-line are doing one-on-ones, kind of banging heads in the trenches. And then there's team periods where it's just like 11 v. 11, what you would typically think of. We're just playing football. Um, so getting a sense of what each coach wants, because there are some coaches who despise seven-on-seven seven and they mm-hmm. want – if we said, hey, we're, we're, you know, we've kind of allotted for like 50 competitive reps today. That might be 50 team reps. And we go, okay, cool. Like, Or some people might go 15 seven-on reps, 15 – inside reps and then you know 20 team reps or you know whatever uh, whatever they prioritize in terms of wanting to get across you know their technical tactical schemes to the coach to the athletes but i guess when i was saying like being ready to fully prime out the practice i don't mean the specifics in terms of scripting out like yeah yeah. i I figured yeah more like generalities of what what are we doing on third and seven this this many reps yeah Uh, this many this type of constraint the the level of yeah i mean like how much competitive how many competitive reps are you comfortable having within a within a day or, or within the week or you know kind of mapping that out so being comfortable saying hey i think 60 team reps fits on this day or whatever you know being comfortable giving that sort of recommendation based on like homework you've done and then structure within the day where should things fall based on how um intensive you know, you know, a little bit of a ramp up into your big intensive period, or do we want to have some, you know, is it appropriate where we want to have two minute at the end of practice? Because we want these guys to get more, um, you know, we want this to be a little more metabolic, I guess, you know, like different days like that, different emphases. But then also we're diving into this a little bit now. And I've had some conversations with the coordinators and Coach Shaw, and it's not, you know, it's it's year one and I got here post spring ball. So we didn't get to even like try anything any of these out during spring ball so it's it's a process and we're kind of 
getting going along as we go, but seeing which scenarios put guys in certain physical buckets and outputs. You know, if we're if we're doing red zone work and we're at the ten yard line and the back of the end zone is twenty yards away, I know our wide receivers aren't hitting forty yard posts. So we're just in shorter areas. So that's gonna naturally lend us to certain physical outputs. But then also seeing how that varies with the linemen because they're just a completely different beast. So starting to get to the point, we're implementing it a little bit. Not, I don't want to overstate how much we're doing it currently, but getting into playing around with some of the scenarios and, okay, we know if we're doing all like third and nine plus, that's going to be a lot, lots of downfield passing yeah. that would fit on a certain type of, you know, we, we would want that to fit here or like, one-on-ones with wide receivers and DBs, everybody gets excited and it ends up being a lot of just like, all right, hey, coach, let me see if I can hit this guy in a post. And it, they just end up hauling ass for 40 yards or whatever, <laughs> um, which is, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Like, and, and so, but you can say, oh, that would fit well in this day or, you know, this um, cycle within the week. Or, um, so just recognizing what, what common scenarios are going to translate to, the physical outputs that you're wanting to track and then starting to influence a little bit on where those fall within a day, within a week, within a month. So. Got it. Actually, I'd like, I'd be curious what that looks like for like, let's just say a four day, like microcycle. It's like day one, two, three, four, maybe a D load. Like, what does that look like? Cause I know um, when Graham Morris was on, he was talking about think more along the lines of like what everyone else in the world calls football or soccer, where it's like really small sided games trains more of these muscle groups more open field work, you're doing longer running reps, the, more of these muscle groups. Like from a very rudimentary perspective, you know, you could say, well, it's just short and it's long. I would be curious, uh, it might be helpful to get into, yeah, like an example. So day one types of reps, types of things. And like you said too, you have coaches that like all different things. You have coaches that like more, maybe one-on-ones. They don't like seven-on-sevens. They like seven-on-sevens, right? And you're trying to give yeah. them what they want, but then help them categorize it. Anyways, just I'm curious how that falls in like let's just say a three day cycle and then a then a delo day or however you would uh, look to arrange that via intensities and and reps. Yeah, so we 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 went through camp in three day cycles and it ends up fitting well with our game weeks as well, where that that day one coming back from an off day is the lowest number of competitive reps for a cycle. We don't know what they were doing on the off day. You know, in season, it's a Sunday where they're completely off after we play on Saturday. Well, you know, we'll have treatment available and we have like got the rooms open just for guys to, you know, flush out or whatever if they want to. But um, nothing mandatory on that day. So Monday, if it, we're looking at a game week schedule, it's a Monday and we're able to match up like our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in season pretty close with like our it just flowed well with thinking about it during fall camp of like, all right, day one, two, three. And then in season, our Thursday is a, just a true walkthrough. No, nothing physical. They, they have meetings, walkthrough, done. And so that was ended up being kind of our off day in camp. We had a couple of them were true off where they had nothing. And then a couple of them were walkthrough and meetings. And so we're looking at the, the day one coming off that. It was our lowest number of competitive reps. and because of the new NCAA rules, we have to have a certain number of helmet days throughout practice or throughout the camp. So we ended up just using those to insert some of those helmet days that we have to have because, you know, okay, our, our linemen aren't in shoulder pads. We know doing any sort of like any sort of intensive team period is going to be just odd and not as useful because they're not able to really get the looks that they want to get so we it was lower total volume of competitive reps on those days lower total yeah, lowest total volume of the cycle and then most things were a lot more technical for the linemen and then any sort of with the with the skill guys non-linemen it was any sort of competitive reps were in that seven on seven kind of setting and then to go into day two that was that's where we kind of it's just like play football like there aren't really any restrictions it's just kind of like all right go play ball if we get a million high speed yards today like, thumbs up yeah. we're not gonna like sounds great 
That's um, where it opens up. So that's where the the day ones are more small, and then you open up to yeah. bigger field, like more. Yeah, it's collisions. not even necessarily constrained field wise on that day one. It's more constrained by like type of drill that they're in. Like there isn't really a scenario where they would need to go wild, um, essentially. And then that day two is just playing ball. I mean, there's a lot of open scenarios and there end up, you know, naturally, depending on where you are in camp and where the coordinators are at their install packages, you know, it's ends up being very just kind of not necessarily game like in volume, but just game like in terms of there ends up being a variety of scenarios that guys fall into just based on their different things that happen in a football game. And but that that second day is the most like open. I guess. And then the third day was early in camp. We didn't necessarily differentiate the day two and three much um, when not everything had been installed yet. But let's say if if we had red zone stuff, goal line, short yardage, or like two minute, um, so either like constrained from a space standpoint or constraint intensity being constrained by a density standpoint, that stuff was on day three of the cycle. And that was, day three was always our longest total time of practice, longest on feet time. So volume across the three days, total volume, total on feet time built slowly over those three days. And then that second day within the cycle is where you expect to see the highest intensities. And, you know, like even for just like from a prep standpoint, pre-practice, when we're doing our general warm up. Like we'll throw in a speed ladder where, you know, we just call it a speed ladder for the guys instead of a fly 10 during that time. But it's, you know, hey, give me 30 yards where it's build, build, build and give me the last five yards as fast as you can. That sort of thing. You know, um, so we're sneaking in, checking our box of hitting above certain velocities for our skill guys. So we do that on day two and then day three early in camp. Day two and day three looked fairly similar when we hadn't. You know, not everything was installed yet from a tactical standpoint, but now, like in these this past cycle that we just finished yesterday, you know, yesterday we did a fair amount of two minute and like third. There was a lot of like third and short, third and medium, you know, where the plays that are called naturally kind of trend towards smaller areas. But it's not black and white. All of this happens on this day. All of that happens on yeah. the other day. And, you know, I even said that when chatting with one of our coordinators, he was like, yeah, this is a little bit muddy on this day. And I was like, that's fine. Like, even in the perfect world scenario, we're not splitting yeah. it up 100 percent and 100 percent. Like, it doesn't need to be like that. But, yeah, so that's kind of how it flows. Volume builds over the three days with day one being the least intensive from a um, competitiveness standpoint and then day two being the most football like in terms of just field and then the day three being the most football like from a contact and density standpoint yeah i always see things through a track coaching window <laughs> like so i'll look at it i try to transpose those three days all right what would i do for track practice and I, I want to ask you as well, too. Well, just one comment before is I, I love the the muddy thing I think is really important because I think we always have this idea of, oh, this is going to be so clean cut. And even especially in track, like in track, it's like, all right, this is acceleration day, max velocity, speed endurance. And you don't really mix. Stuff. But I've seen when I first started coaching, I was very much like 15 years ago now. I was very much like, oh, yeah, this day can only have this in it. And this day can only have this. And then yeah. Someone hands you a workout, maybe it's something they did last year, and it's like, all right, it was acceleration day, but we finished with a fast 150 and 250. That's like more speed endurance, right? And I'm like, well, that's, why would you do that? That's stupid. <laughs> I mean, and yeah, from like a, how are you going to build? What are you going to do the next day? Yeah, sure, I could see that a little bit, but like, it's, I, I've seen, I, you know, I saw it in swimming where like uh, per, uh, swim coach would do more of an endurance day, but they would finish with some really fast kicking to lead into the next day, like something that's a little yeah. muddy. And the athletes did well with that. They were better going into the next day. And then we have sport, which is even more chaotic. And it's like, you're telling me you're not robust enough to do something that's not in the category of today. You know, like, not to mention, too, I mean, just the, the chaos of sport and the variability is almost as such that it 
Um, it can help the human being adapt too, because there is that random, you know, variability. Maybe there was that random long run or whatever that, and then you recover yeah. it with a bunch of short runs. Anyways, I'm kind of, I'm kind of <laughs> getting off uh, my um, train of thought that I was originally on. But my my track coach hat was listening to you talk about that, and it's like, okay, Monday coming back off a of meet, you a lot of times you would do acceleration day, like short acceleration. We're gonna hit like maybe eight or 10, 20 meters, maybe some different types of starts. Maybe we'll wave load it. We'll do a long warm up. We'll do some hops and jumps. We'll do some potentiating weights. Then Tuesday, we're going to hit it hard. Then we're going to hit max velocity, maybe some sprint float sprints descending down, like some fast 120s or something like that with spikes on, high intensity race replication. And then, you know, you're pretty much toasted a little bit by Wednesday, but you could still come and do tempo, like eight by 200 speed endurance, whatever, yeah. five by two, you know, depends on how much tempo you like to do, how much your athletes can tolerate, uh, you know, within reason, but you know, hit your tempo, you're usually day on Wednesday, but that could be the highest volume day too, that Wednesday. So it's like, I actually can see that, or maybe you do a long circuit, but I actually can see that pattern replicated in a track program as well. And then, you know, maybe Thursday's off or whatever. So of course, if I in track, if I went um, really easy, if it was just tempo on Wednesday, I'd probably go sprint again or something on Thursday. <laughs> but if it was like high intensity volume, if I went and ran like four three hundreds pretty quick on that Wednesday, that was high volume and medium intensity, I'd probably just rest on Thursday. So I, I'm always just trying to put my track hat on. And, and what I'd like to ask you is, obviously, this this show is more, just imagining, it's probably the case that more strength and conditioning coaches and that type of folk are listening to this than football coaches, but either, obviously... Great. Whoever's listening, I, I aim to have something to, to for people to think about and help people. But what mm-hmm. um, on the weight side of things, how is that being complemented then with the days? You mentioned with the speed, that second day, more open football, maybe some some more max velocity emphasis. Uh, what um, like what's that looking like on the weight side that how those things are being complemented? Yeah. So during camp, we lifted once for every three day cycle. So we lifted on that day two on that kind of highest intensity type day we lifted there and in camp it was very you know very peeled back in terms of volume intensity like it was just kind of like all right we're checking a few boxes of getting in these movements that we want to stay consistent with and then go away go sleep but in season we lift monday wednesday friday so we um that friday is just kind of a true kind of potentiation throwing some med balls some barbell squat jumps depending on the position we have a different for our line Mm -hmm. skill and kind of big skill guys wednesday is wednesday monday and wednesday are similar kind of overall this is actually we had this conversation last week because we scheduling wise we are limited in that we have to lift pre-practice so we lift in the morning, we practice in the afternoon, just because, you know, like they have Stanford class schedules and whatnot. So we have to practice at a certain time. And so we, we're, we're going to, we squat in season. We're going to do that on Mondays. Is that, you know, if we, we were talking about, if we were able to lift post-practice, we'd probably put that on Wednesdays, but even, you know, say, oh, we're squatting on Mondays, but it's not, it's not crazy intensive. It's more just kind of, you know, it's in very reasonable and, you know, intensity ranges. So it's, it's not ruining their recovery from Saturday or as we go into a Monday, it's not wild. If we had the, uh, you know, kind of a the perfect ideal, no class schedule type of schedule that we'd probably squat them post Wednesday practice, but it is what it is. So, you know, given the constraints we have, we bump that. So our, our, both our Monday and Wednesdays are Monday's a little bit more just kind of right, getting your feet back under you from the weekend. Like even with the squatting, it's not crazy intensive. And then the Wednesday is a little bit more intensive overall. And then the Friday lift is just like very, they actually do that immediately pre-practice. They come into the weight room, do a full warm up. They do that kind of potentiating lift. Then they go out, we do our fast Friday practice and then cut it off. You know, that's about, 60 minutes and on the field and then cut it off and go play on Saturday. So that's how we kind of match it up. And then, yeah, but right now during camp, it was just once there's just so much overall volume being stacked up that we didn't feel the need to push anymore. We, you know, checked a couple major boxes and then it was just getting out of town. So 
But yeah, that's how it looks in season. Gotcha. So yeah, I found it interesting uh, with the camp. So you're really only lifting like twice a week then for camp and it's just on the high intensity days of practice. Yeah. Gotcha. Is that partly too just people reacclimating to like the volume like that, you know, getting back into, I have heard that most injuries happen in the first few weeks of camp, you know, that transitioning back in, is that part of the reason then, or is there a different reason with that? Yeah. And we were able to like fit in some other just like little things every day that we want to hit. So we have the, you know, our pre-practice process, they have a series of exercises that they do with us prior to starting then kind of our general on-field warm-up. So we're able to check some just kind of general boxes. So in terms of, yes, we enter the weight room, the guys have their cards, they, you know, we kind of explain what they're doing. They go lift on the racks and then they come back. That is, that was twice a week during camp. But in terms of like, you know, if you looked at it on paper and said, oh, how many times do they work with the sports performance staff in terms of having exercises prescribed from sports performance? It was every day, just in, you know, very small doses. And like, you know, our post, post-practice, uh, we do like a post-practice stretch at the end of every practice. And sometimes it's literally just like, all right, you know, kind of um, bringing yourself down from practice, getting, you know, take some deep breaths, get some long stretches. Um, but like on the end of that third day in our cycles, we would hit Nordics with the guys at the end of practice. So it was like, you know, sprinkling, sprinkling in a little bit of something. Um, so yeah, true weight room wise only twice. And you're right. It's because there's just so much other volume going on. Um, and you know, that you, if you, you know, if you get kind of those big rocks in place of the sport practice and how we're managing that load, you can get away with peeling back in other areas and not worrying about losing kind of these higher level qualities because then those higher level qualities aren't being drowned out by just excessive fatigue. Because you see that in kind of a vicious cycle of like, oh, we're getting weaker throughout the season. We need to maybe, maybe should we lift more? Or yeah. And in, in reality... They have these qualities. They just can't express them because they're drowning. So then, okay, if we actually, it'd be better if we just peeled back a little bit in this other area. And then, you know, then their, you know, their VBT on the squat would show that they're looking great or, you know, whatever it may be. So it's, um, we didn't worry about, oh, in this 20 day period, are our linemen's max squats going to go down? They're pushing 300 pound guys for, out multiple hours a day like they're not they might lose that very specific skill of doing this one movement that we don't do very regularly if anything you're just kind of losing the skill of doing it you're not losing the strength um, yeah. just because of what they're doing on the field or, you know i had this conversation with one of wide, wide receivers the other day he loves to he's like a super great worker he's always looking for like extra to do and he mm-hmm. loves doing like different plyometric variations then he started to have something, you know, just a little soft tissue thing, start to bug him, nothing major, didn't even miss a practice for it. But it was like the conversation wasn't, hey, should you get more treatment? Should you be doing this other thing? It was, hey, you know those extra jumps you like to do at the end of lift? Stop doing them. Yeah, uh, he, was like, <laughs> he was like, yeah, for sure. I already stopped. Like, uh, you know, so sometimes it's just uh, peeling away excessive fatigue so that those you know whatever whether it's max strength or max speed or elasticity can kind of shine through so yeah we didn't worry about it much yeah in terms of losing those qualities that makes me think about yeah it's like it's a way of reducing the noise and the answer is not i mean just like society can end up in many ways it's like more 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 you know more schoolwork more extracurricular you know travel teams and and like youth sports right like it's an epidemic of more and it's almost like it's kind of like a reverse. We think a training load is the bucket, you know, you know, the bucket tape. But in some ways, too, if it's the reverse example of the bucket and you have a hole in the bottom of the bucket, you could either a just keep trying to pour water in the top, which is kind of futile, just adding extra. Or you could just plug the <laughs> hole at the bottom and solve your problem that way. You know, it's like the simpler solution is really the superior one. And like from my my track and field days, I this was so like familiar and important to me is when track practice was going really well and in my college track we lifted uh twice a week like one day a week was olympic lifts and one day a week was like a squat day type thing 
you know, mm-hmm. a few other, yeah, like you said, like a few other like general things throughout the week we might do for pre-practice, but it was just general, you know, like, and I was yeah. going to actually ask, I was like, yeah, imagine you doing some general work uh, at camp and you answer that question. But I remember like when, when track was going well and sprints are fast and jumps are good and the throws, the multi throws are far and you're having fun, you got a smile on your face, the lifts kind of take care of themselves in the sense like you're going into that lift with a full battery. Of course, you're going to be a, like outputting like a beast on that lift. It's not, the yeah. answer isn't, well, oh, if I just lift more. And, and that's where I always even looked at like the average like schedule. Once I moved from track to getting into strength and conditioning, it's like, well, we lift three times a week. And I'm like, but you can get everything you need in two. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, at some point you just make that you can make the lift smaller in nature. You can mix them around. And, you know, I learned how to work with that. I just took a little transition learning how to work with three because I was just used to two doing the job. Like for me, at least in my specific track and field situation, it's just everything in practice was done so well. And you, you hop up the nervous, you're like every sprint, every jump is such a powerful muscular contraction. I think sometimes it's easy to forget that. And Oh, yeah. just manage that really well. You walk in the way you're going to, you're going to, and not to mention too, you just spent the whole like, you know, spring lifting weights and all that stuff. It's not like you can take a time in the year where you are doing a little less, where you can reap the rewards, where you can focus primarily on the thing that you do, which is play football, you know, or whatever sport you do. And yeah, so it all makes sense in that context. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and even like you saying like, you know, if you want to, like the bucket analogy was one we we thought about that in terms of when we were looking at like okay why do we want to have influence on planning kind of the camp loads and having a better sense of what those are part of that was you know we're in charge of getting them ready for it and so you if we don't have a plan ahead of time like a very detailed plan ahead of time of what's going on you know down to the pretty granular level we can't then predict what those workloads are going to look like and then prepare for them in the summer. So it was, and you know, like even the kind of it's classic in football is like, Oh, we're not getting guys ready for the game. We're getting them ready for practice. And it's like, well, if practice is that different from the game, like maybe try to exert a little influence Mm -hmm. on that. Like if you're being, if I gave you five guys and said, all right, I need them all to be dunking on a 15 foot rim in the next year, you'd be like, well, the game's only played at 10. Like, can we just get them ready for a 10-foot rim? Like, that's a reasonable question to ask. And so that was one of the things is, you know, looking at that, at least getting a sharp plan down for that first week of camp because then we were able to say, okay, based on last year, and this is what – with the adjustments we've made to this first week of camp, we can pretty closely predict what those loads are going to be like. And then we just then thought, okay, if that's the first week of camp. This is what our last week of the summer needs to be. And then we worked backwards from there to go all the way back to our first week of summer and then built it up. And so, and we, and we ended up being off. Our prediction for the first week of camp was off by like 5%. But even that, it was like, okay, that's, you know, within a reasonable wiggle room where the spike from the last week of the summer to the first week of camp was incredibly reasonable. And so even if, absolute loads looked high which depending on what you're used to they might the guys were used to it so we were able to you know get them ready for that so instead of just being like oh man we we're, we're training them for football but we don't really know what it's going to look like it's like we'll just exert some influence on, on the uh what it's actually going to look like you know and sometimes the level of detail to predict those like total volume loads Really, the only piece of information you really needed was total time on feet mm. for volume, just like pure volume. And then if you wanted to get an intensity, like some of the high speed running or, you know, high threshold accelerations, decelerations, to predict those, you needed a little more granular detail of the practice plan. But straight, like just on feet time, you could just look at how long was practice. So we're able to backtrack that pretty easily. But yeah, it's just like you can keep trying to you know pour in and pour in but it's just like if you just plug the hole it's fine yeah just got it yeah it's got to do that take the the simple solution that's sitting there you know just take it you mentioned joel pain points i, I wanted to get into that so you had mentioned like and and the more i hear you listen to you talk i do think about it is interesting like people will 
even though this is sports science and, and data and we think of data as like like this linear, it's just like taking math class. But there's still a lot of complex factors. Like why exactly did someone get hurt? Is it just something that showed up on, you know, the, the workloads? That I, I'm that where you were saying, like, what's the what's the nature of the practice plan? Like, you know, like there's there's more than just one thing still. It's still not a completely linear art. There's still complex yeah. uh, at factors at play. There's still an art to it. Absolutely. And so, but even with that in mind, I'm curious what your, um, like the pain points were like, what are some practices that, or what are some things that you want to generally eliminate from the way the weekly load is carried out that you feel like could contribute possibly to people being more dinged up? Tell me a little bit more about what the pain points you mentioned and then what good practices or what practices to avoid and how a week is laid out from that perspective. Yeah. I mean, so the number one thing we noticed was that, especially during camp, Going for, no, no matter what the volume was, I shouldn't say no matter what the volume was. If the volume was in kind of a normal range, daily volume was in a normal range, doing four practices in a row, four days, that just created an unsustainable well that these guys fell into, essentially. And so that was probably the biggest rock that it was, I was trying to get checked off was going to this kind of three day in a row, three day on, one off. Because once we checked that box, we noticed we it gave us a lot of wiggle room within those days where if we quote unquote missed on a day and went high on something or whatever, like it wasn't as big a deal because we knew, all right, we've got a completely down day in no more than 72 hours. So that's the biggest pain point that we're looking back at last year was around one of those four day cycles and the injuries didn't necessarily happen in that cycle. They were five to seven days later. And mm-hmm. so it's like, all right, you get by doing that, it put them in this hole. And this is a generalization, put a lot of guys in a hole that they weren't able to then get back out of because you had one day down and then you're right back into like a three day in a row or whatever it was. And so, and it's also kind of a cascade of factors because you look at football and you say, oh, you have a hundred guys. Like right now we have 108 or 109 on the roster. And so, oh, like if you lose a couple guys, you know, three guys, whatever, get rolled up on, roll an ankle, you have an AC sprain, whatever. Oh, it's only a few guys. But it's actually more important to look at it from a position standpoint because some of those positions only have have a handful of guys so it ends up being a cascading effect of you know you put these guys in a hole that they can't get out of have a couple little things pop up and then all of a sudden the workload for the guys remaining goes up and then the reaction to that can be like okay we're going to peel way back but then maybe actually peel back too much and so uh, the the way that we kind of identified this was you know looking at the practice structure just on paper but then also we just pulled up acute to chronic graphs for total player load acceleration load and contact load uh, which those last two are uh, player loads pretty well known I guess, I think um, but those last two are I, they might be catapult only might have those I'm not sure but the acceleration load is the instantaneous velocity in 10 hertz. So it's, it's every tenth of a second, your instant absolute value of your instantaneous velocity added up over the entire period or session. So like um, our receivers, just you know, like a player load for a two-hour practice yesterday, our receivers were around between 450 and 500. Their acceleration load was between 1500 and 2000. So it's it's a it's an order of magnitude higher. But we looked at those, and then we had contact load in there too, which is um, Chris Morris at Kentucky developed that for Catapult. I think it's Chris. I don't. Last name's Morris. Sorry if I messed that up. But he's the head of sports science at Kentucky, and he developed that for Catapult. And so it gives a good sense of contact for the linemen. Um, so we look at that as well, and we just looked at like you know the acute to chronic graphs for the entire month of camp. And saw like, all right, major spike here. Where did that come from? What did the couple days, you know, what did the month before look like? What did the couple days before look like? And um, just identifying, you know, the uh, that helped us kind of identify those pain points. And then 
um, worked back from there, looked at like, okay, this is right where that four day cycle kind of fell. And, and then, okay, a few days later, I was able to see it like seven to 10 days later, acute to chronic plummeted. And it was like, oh, that was there kind of a reactionary uh, peel back there. And it was like, yeah, pretty much. And so we wanted to mitigate that. So instead of having as a huge spike early and then coming way down to get fresh for game week, it was like, we don't actually have to come that far down if we just ramp up a little slower going into it. So, yeah. But I mean, it gets back to kind of what we're talking about of just like checking some of those big rocks and like whether it's in training or overall structuring of things is, you know, we found, you know, once we checked that box of like just the three day cycles, uh, you know, knowing that we're not going to have practice four days in a row, it gave us a little more wiggle room within the individual days. And then we also, you know, it's around the nature of the sport. Like we know our practice week, we go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday down, fast Friday, go play on Saturday. So our guys are never being asked to practice more than three days in a row when, you know, even during the true competitive season. And then the nature of football, you only play once per week. So overloading the system from a football standpoint, okay, maybe you build up in camp to a practice that's 110, 115, 120% of a game, and that might be appropriate. But it's not like a basketball or a hockey where I need to be able to do 100% of a game and then two days later do 100% of a game. And, you know, the frequency is, you know, it's just so different than, um, you know, a tennis or a soccer or all these others that have multi-game weeks. So in terms of, oh, you could look at, oh, we only practice three days a week in season, but we want to overload that at some point by having them ready for four. But it's like that doesn't necessarily fit the nature of the game. So the overload could come from having a single day that's higher if we're smart about what we're doing after that and leading up to it. And that's where, like, once you check that box of, all right, we know the, the rest day is coming soon, you know, at a very, you know, kind of cyclical pattern then even if you, you know, get excited in a practice and go over a little bit and it's nothing to the world because you know what's coming. So, yeah, that's, I think it is just massive to have those because you like just days, you know, you can drain the battery more and it also takes away from the monotony of the training week. It's like, Hey, I know this day is coming up. So, Hey, I could do it. It almost like allows a little bit more mental variety as well. Like I can work extra hard today. I can lay it out today. Like, Versus, and you know you got that day, you know, and, and versus, oh, it's only the day after the game or something like that. Or if it's like every day turns into Groundhog Day, <laughs> uh, yeah. just I, I think that could be a, I'm sure that's a big problem if you just don't have that day. And then it's almost more licensed to, for mental pon- monotony to take place. I, I mean, even in track training, I, I love like three, like Dan Paff talks about the three day rollover. I think there's something powerful in just threes. And it's just this, yeah. it's just this nice symbiosis that we can really get. Uh, and we the more you get tuned into those three days too, the more like intuition you develop with, we can do this, this day, we can do this, this day, we can do this, this day, this is what's normal. You take that deal a day out and I feel like everything just kind of, it's almost like you have this nice little system and it just all gets flat. It's like this, I almost have this vision, just like you're dumping the bucket of water out on the ground and just all that water goes flat and you don't, yeah. you lose integrity, structural integrity of the week by missing those, those planned deloads. Yeah, 100%. And we've even seen, I, it's funny, I've had some support staff members even mention like their own sanity and <laughs> like yeah. uh, ability to just kind of get a feel for how things are rolling has felt better. Like, obviously, we want it to feel great for the players and all that. And like their physical and mental health is ultimately like the, that's the outputs on the field that we get. But even like some support staff members have been like, man, this three-day cycle feels really good, you know, like, because yeah. we know, okay, if I got behind on some of this other work that I need to do because we had just so much day-to-day stuff that we were getting done, like, I've got that, I've got that day where we only have an hour walkthrough, and so I've got a bunch of other time throughout the day where I can catch up on this other mm-hmm. stuff. So it was even useful just from a, it was interesting to see the concept carry over to other areas, because then it's like, okay, maybe this, you know, if something's a little more universal, then it's like, all right, maybe this starts to make sense a little bit, so... Yeah. And I've even noticed it for myself. Like, you know, there's some, like the day-to-day catapult. It's like, all right, I'm getting this done, getting this done. And then there's some other like longer-term projects that I want to get 
get oh I'm gonna get half an hour done on this other thing and you know so you know just how things roll and yeah it's been helpful overall I think because then you know and it's it sounds so simple but it's like it doesn't you know getting the plan to a point where we were able to prepare better for the summer and then you know mitigate soft tissue and going into camp and now we're 10 days out from our first game and like oh did it require some crazy process of breaking down all the catapult player by player Mm -hmm. and all that and like it's funny because as i look back on it and that planning process that was may june literally the most impactful decision that has been made is just staying with three day cycles and that's it like now we made other decisions as well that have made positive effects but it's almost like if we peeled but even if we took away some of those sticking with a three day like a lot of these positive benefits would still be there so cool hey last um last quick question for you uh, you know you talked about uh i think we talked about this yeah we did last time uh reducing noise conditioning the idea that you know if you can get your conditioning actually just playing your sport that's awesome and so i'm just yeah. curious if anything's changed or just thoughts on that in context where you're doing any extra extra conditioning or air quotes extra conditioning <laughs> uh that's outside the sport thoughts on that what you guys are doing with that yeah, so we had a brief. It was funny. We had a. We were talking about this the other day on the sideline at practice, and so I was, I was asked almost that exact question, and it was my answer was, if you if we feel that the guys have the bandwidth to do more physical activity and it fits in our schedule, then you know, say okay, we have we could get like twenty more minutes of on field time. Okay, let's do twenty more team reps. You know, let's play more ball. And then if we don't feel we have the bandwidth to do that extra work, then we're just adding excessive fatigue and that's going to screw up our team reps down the road. Yeah. I always, I was just kind of boil it back down to like, is this going to affect the number of team football reps that we are able to execute prior to our first game? And if it's going to, if it's going to make that number higher, I'm all for it. Um, with a healthy roster, if it's going to make that number lower, with a less healthy roster, I'm not for it. But short answer, no. We, we do all that all summer. Like, there's so much general conditioning all summer because of NCAA restrictions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether it was, you know, we had different, like, position-specific tempo type stuff that we were doing and all that, but even that's still general. And so it's like we built this general engine so that we can now go apply it specifically and – even across different position groups, like the extra conditioning would be so far from what they actually, what makes them tired. I think that's how James Smith says it in governing dynamics is like, you got to do what makes you tired. And, you know, the linemen aren't tired because they have to run 50 yards and all that. And um, so it's just short answer. No, if we have the bandwidth for to do more physical activity, we're just going to play more ball. So. Cool. Yeah. It makes sense with like the, once you move past the restrictions where you couldn't play as much football or had to do more conditioning by default, and once you get in season in season and in camp, it's just about the intelligent management of everything. <laughs> and, yeah. I mean, just it just makes sense. You know, it just it just it's almost like it makes me think in five ten years when I'd imagine maybe more programs are going to be doing what you're doing now. That we'll look back on like all the extra running and all the extra stuff that was done and be like, why do we do all that? Like, why was all that? Why was all that? So, so normalized, you know, when yeah. it, it really, yeah, just can we play more ball, you know, especially yeah. once you're there, there, I mean, there, there was a flip side of, so I was being asked by somebody in the context of, Hey, this other team does this little short extra conditioning thing at the end of every practice. And the answer about the physical side of it was that, but then I'm like, if those guys get like psychologically hyped up about doing that and they love doing that and it helps the guys feel like they are getting closer to being game ready, if it's actually just a very small dose of that stuff, but it helps the guys out psychologically, like, is that the end of the world? No. But I think you can always kind of frame stuff if the guys are like, oh, we need that to be in better shape. It's like, how about we just do like two minute drill and you're having to like the density is going to be very high. And, you know, we could even instead of doing six play drives, we could do a 12 play drive that we artificially make longer and the density is very high. And 
So I think if you're, even if your guys need that psychologically to feel ready, I think you're just underestimating your own uh, explanatory skills. Um, yeah. To I get could, yeah, I could definitely see that. I think that, yeah, a short, quick finisher that the coach makes special and the guys could attack with the same emotional intensity of the game, then yes, I would say that's useful. But I'd imagine yeah. a lot of conditioning is not done with the same emotional and psychological intensity of the game and is excessive and is therefore dwindling in specificity the longer it is you know drawn out so but yeah I, i'm glad you mentioned that the little like potential finisher because I, I i do like like the little switch of a finisher as long as there's emotion and intensity and like a buy-in behind it that that's relevant yeah, for sure so all right well, cool, Joel. Well, hey, thank you so much for being on. I, you know, I uh, this is one of the shows where I got through all the questions. I'm I'm stoked about that. So, uh, very cool. And and yeah, thank you so much. I, I'm I'm looking forward to keeping up with you. And um, it's really interesting hearing about what you're doing the sports science end. I know these shows aren't uh, what I probably like as much as I get into a lot of the other topics. So it's really good to touch base on uh, this how this hits the training field. And thanks for your time, man. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it. I'm, I'll be excited to. You know, hopefully as we iterate over time and our planning gets better and all that, I'll be excited to almost listen back to this and hopefully uh, be disappointed in my process because we've iterated and become better at it down the road. But uh, yeah, I appreciate it. I always love conversations with you. So thank you. All right. Thanks, Joel. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. I appreciate you listening and we'll see you next week.